Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. Today, I am going to be the guest and the host, and I'm actually really excited to visit with all of you. This is the first time in 37 episodes that I have been the only one on the show. I've always had a guest, and I'm so grateful for all of the guests that I've had on the show. They have provided some incredible information, and they have uh, been so generous with their time and expertise and sharing what they love and understand and know. And today, it's my turn. And I am going to speak to you today about a topic that I get asked about all the time in my practice as a marriage and family therapist. As you know, I run a pornography and sexual addiction recovery program for individuals and couples called Lifestar here in St. George, Utah. And in the course of running this program over the years, a lot of people ask me this question, how do I know if my husband or boyfriend or loved one is actually in recovery? I mean, there's so much lying and hiding and manipulation that's gone on for so many of these women and family members and church leaders. And so naturally, they're going to wonder, how do I know? How do I know if this person is actually getting better or am I just a sucker who's getting fooled again? It's a really honest question and actually a really good question. In my experience and my observation working with thousands of people over the last 20 years, I have witnessed that there are some very consistent fruits that I see when people are truly in good recovery. Now, the way to get to those fruits or the way to to actually achieve those results varies from case to case. There are some consistent things that I see, and I'm going to talk about that today. In fact, I've identified six fruits that I see in people who are actually healing and recovering. And these principles apply across the board for men and for women. But I, I do want to frame this discussion first from a quote a good friend of mine and colleague, Dr. Adam Moore, shared recently, and he gave me permission to share this. He was asked the question about whether or not there is a specific recovery path for every single person and if somebody's going to actually heal from this pornography or sexual addiction, are there specific things that they must do that every single person must do or else they are not going to achieve healing? And this was his response, and I'm going to read it now. It's really awesome. He says, There is no such thing as a universal healing path for anything in life. And the truth is that no one has a right to tell someone else how to do it. As a therapist, I'm in a unique position where people specifically ask me how to get better, but I never hammer people about anything. I've had clients who have chosen not to do a disclosure and have still gotten better. I've had clients hate 12-step and can still turn out okay. I think that people do struggle without some kind of healing community, but who the heck am I to order someone around about how they are supposed to heal? My PhD does not give me the right to tell someone that there's only one way to get better. If that were true, then they would only be a small sliver of people whose personalities happen to match the quote, correct way, and everyone else would be in big trouble. All healing is way too personal for people to get overly involved in someone else's process. I'm only in people's lives by invitation and only for a short period of time. And even I get it wrong at times with some people. I'm really glad that people are getting help from my workbooks and other content, 
but every time I present, I know that I'm only talking about a small slice of what needs to be said on every topic. It's impossible to cover everything. So naturally, sometimes I say things or write things that will get taken out of context and used in a way that may not always be helpful. Everyone just needs to be a little bit more patient with themselves and everyone else around them. Most people can benefit from the 12-step reminder that they need to, quote, sweep their own side of the street. And that ends the quote from Dr. Adam Moore. I agree with everything he said. There are some very universal principles and fruits that we see from people that are living a life of recovery, but the way that they get there varies from case to case. So I hope that in talking about these things today, that you don't turn this into a checklist or a to-do list or something that you can use to judge uh, someone else's efforts, but instead use it as a guide for yourself to, to really tap in and say like, does this feel like healing to me? Does it feel like this person is really getting better? Because again, whether somebody is healing or not is ultimately up to them. And if the way that they're living their life, even if they claim that they're healing is not working for you, then that's just something that you have to face and deal with. Nobody can sign off on somebody and just say they're fixed, they're done, and you should love them and be okay with them because we don't know how much damage has been done. We don't know what other things you've been through. It's such a deeply personal process, and there's no way that any therapist or church leader or anybody can absolutely say for certain that this person is safe and that you need to get back in this relationship with them. So I'm going to outline these principles that I've seen that, again, generally apply to most people who are doing good, solid recovery work. The six healing principles that I'm going to share now are in no particular order. And so please don't feel like if your loved one doesn't meet every single one of these things that I talk about today, that it means that they're not in some kind of a healing process. That's too deeply personal for me to decide in a podcast whether or not the person you're with is healing. But I want to outline these different areas so that you have somewhat of a guide to get a feel for what healing and recovery looks like from the thousands of people that I've worked with over the years. Okay, well, let's dive right in. So number one, he understands that he's in a recovery and healing process, and he totally owns it. Now, this may seem super obvious, and you may be wondering, what the heck? There really is a moment when somebody is in true recovery, when they're saying to themselves, I'm in a recovery process versus somebody who says, I don't have a problem. And what's your problem? And there's a lot of blame and denial around the fact that there's even an issue to work on. And so let's talk about what that produces then. When somebody owns the fact that they are in a recovery process and that it is their process and no one else's, then they start to find their own help. This is when they start to find resources for themselves. So they'll look for books, workbooks, therapy, groups, uh, church help, um, start to open up to others. Like They're actually the ones that are initiating the healing and the treatment. And they're recognizing, just like if they had their own wound, they're not waiting for somebody else to run to them with bandages. They're going to say, I've got to get help. I've got a problem. And so that is a really huge indicator that somebody is in a healing process is when they actually are taking charge of it. So they're setting up and keeping their own appointments. They're not waiting for somebody else to do that. And they are, um, they're, they're able to explain what they're even doing in their recovery process. I often ask guys, I'll say things like, so describe your recovery to me. And if they can describe it to me and what they're doing to heal and what they're working on, then I have a pretty good sense or some confidence that they are actually working a recovery process versus somebody who's like, I don't know, I'm just here because my wife made me or somebody else made me. 
then I'm more concerned that they're not really in a healing process. So that deep sense of ownership puts them in a position where they're willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes, like my good friend Mark Laser says, that is a real indicator that they are in it, that they are working, that they are going to take charge of it, that nobody else is driving this thing forward, and that they are. It's their recovery. Okay, number two, people that heal from addictions or that are in a good recovery process have some form of accountability or support in their life. So they refuse to do this on their own. They recognize that this thing is much bigger than themselves. And they recognize they can't do it alone. And so they get rid of that illusion that if they just worked harder by themselves in secrecy, in isolation, that they're going to heal. They just apply more willpower. No, they recognize that there's strength in numbers. And whether they've reached out to one or two people or an entire group of people or their whole family or whoever, they do have a support system. Now, going back to Mark Laser. He wrote a book called The Seven Principles of Highly Accountable Men, and in there he said that he believes that every man in recovery should have at least a support group of five to six men so that they always have someone they can count on, talk to, relate to, that they're not just depending on one person uh, to give them help. And when part of this accountability is really their willingness to come out of hiding about their story and let other people know that they're in trouble, that they need help. This isn't just about having lots of friends or just going to a meeting and never saying anything. This is about them actually being vulnerable and opening up and letting other people know that they are in a process and that they need help. In other words, they're talking about this recovery that they've taken ownership of, and they're bringing other people in for reinforcements. And so this will oftentimes produce things like going to a 12-step meeting or going to group therapy or working with a sponsor or opening up to family or friends. Uh, These issues do not heal in isolation. Okay, another healing principle is number three, which is getting some kind of professional help, which can be in person, going to a group, uh, books, online resources, workshops, other kinds of professional guidance. Now, this one is a little bit controversial because obviously I have a conflict of interest. I am a professional. I do this for a living. I write books. I help people with these issues. It's my job. And so, of course, I'm going to really value this one highly. But please hear me out on this. Yes, I recognize that people have healed for years, dealing with lust and other kinds of things anciently before they had therapists and professionals. But I also recognize that we live in a time now where there are more resources available to deal with this plague and deal with these issues than there ever have been on the earth before. Several people have you know, indicated that. Why wouldn't we take advantage of these resources? I think it's helpful to use like a medical type metaphor and recognize that, yes, people have had to heal in lots of ways medically before there was modern medicine and other things that were more better understood these days. And people just had to do the best with what they had. But we live in a day and age now where we can speed up the healing, where we have lots of protocols and techniques and and information and research and understanding about the brain and about relationships and other kinds of things, addiction. And so accessing that information really does speed things up and it really does help create deeper healing that's more long-lasting than if you just try and muscle through it on your own with what you understand. And so getting professional help doesn't mean that you have to pay a therapist, but again, those resources are tremendously beneficial. Lots of people have benefited from them for years and a lot of people don't have access to those things. Some people don't have access to a good therapist or someone who's trained in dealing with these issues. But with the internet and with publishing, and there's all kinds of resources out there. And so there's really no excuse not to be able to access 
the collective wisdom of, of professionals and hundreds of years of experience and understanding and the, even the stories of other people that have healed. There's just so much out there. And I highly encourage you to not just rely on your own brain power and your own thinking to try and get through this, but to really access the power of these resources. Okay, let's move on to number four. When healing is truly happening, he is becoming a safer person. Now, what exactly does that mean? This word can be a little bit confusing for people when we throw the word safe around because often people think of physical safety. Absolutely, physical safety matters. And if somebody is violent or aggressive, then clearly they're not healing and they're not in a good place. But I wanna talk about emotional safety, which sometimes can feel a lot more vague. So think of it this way. You've probably been around somebody who, when you shared your feelings or shared your fears or you shared something really vulnerable or scary, and they didn't blame you, they didn't make excuses, they didn't stop listening, they just sat with it and they nodded their head and they listened and they really heard you and said, yeah, that totally makes sense. And maybe they asked some more questions and you started to feel like you could maybe share a little bit more and take more risks. That's safety. Safety is really being with somebody who sees you and understands you and cares about you, is willing to make room for your experience and not just make everything about them or feel defensive or critical of whatever you're thinking or feeling. So when somebody's truly healing, in my experience, my observation, they have this capacity to really make space for and be present with your emotions and your pain and other people's pain. So they connect better to their children. They connect better to people in their lives. And they're just a lot more stable and non-reactive. Things just don't set them off as much. In, in psychological terms, that means that they've probably done a lot of healing on their own their own shame or their own self-concept or their own understanding of themselves. And that allows them to be more at peace and more accepting of their own flaws and weaknesses along with other people's. And so this makes them a lot easier to be around. And it's really easier to connect with them than ever before. They're also more sexually safe, meaning that there's not any coercion or pressure and they're not acting out in addictive ways, both in and out of the bedroom. And that's a really critical point because when you're dealing with healing from pornography and sexual addiction, there's been so much sexual miseducation from fantasy and lust and pornography. It can make the sexual experience in a marriage very contaminated and feel very unsafe. And sometimes they can't quite put their finger on why does this feel this way, but there's safety when there's good healing going on and there's there's a, you can have a voice you can have preferences you can say no there's a, a tendency to just to be able to guide and direct and and coordinate and, and work together so much better it's a much safer experience part of emotional safety is also being in a relationship with somebody where there's not blaming or minimizing or gaslighting and if you're not sure what gaslighting is just google it lots of information on that and not making excuses and so on. And there's a compassionate and empathic response towards you and other people. And so that emotional stability, that emotional maturity is common in people that are really truly healing from these things. They're just at peace and they're at peace in their relationships. Okay, let's move on to number five. People that are in good recovery, that are really healing, they live in full transparency. And they've opened up about what they've done. They've opened up about their secrets. And I am a big fan of full disclosure. I recognize that not everyone's going to have access to a therapist who can guide them through that process. And so they're going to have to do the best they can do. But at the core, there needs to be a confession element. This is a, this is a religious tradition throughout the ages of confessing and opening up and admitting what you've done wrong. 
there's so much healing in that for yourself to be able to face your story and face your own pain and your own guilt and shame. And then, of course, the accountability that that gives toward the people that you've injured. And it lets people know that you're safe and that you're not willing to protect yourself anymore, that you're willing to protect them and be really honest about where you've gone and what you've done. So not only sharing a full disclosure of where you've been, what you've done, but also in an ongoing way, being open about their struggles. So triggers and, and even relapses and being open about, you know, hey, I, I'm struggling with this or I messed up or I need to get back on track. There's just a level of transparency in so you can have a, a window into their process, into their, their efforts so that you can really see that they're working and healing and that they're not going to hide that from you. So there's really no secrets. There's no hiding. There's no uh, unwillingness to answer questions. And they recognize that that they'll answer and, and talk about and, and be open about these things for as long as they need to. That's a, a huge piece that I see with people that are truly healing is that that level of transparency is there. And there's just a willingness to talk about it. In fact, there's an old 12-step joke that goes something like, how can you tell if somebody is not in recovery? Well, they won't talk about it. How can you tell if somebody's in recovery? Well, they won't stop talking about it. And that's been my experience, that people that are truly healing, it doesn't mean they're out broadcasting it to everybody or going on the circuit. What it means is that they'll talk about it with the people that they need to talk to about. And they're not unwilling to do that. There's not this kind of isolated, closed-off, defensive posture there's a willingness to say, yeah, that's my story. Again, going back to number one. And so that transparency is an extension of that ownership. All right, so number six is that somebody who's truly healing is going to be establishing boundaries and limits around their addiction and around their acting out behavior. So for example, if somebody's been unfaithful, they are going to have way different boundaries with other people than maybe they had before. There's gonna be perhaps maybe less familiarity there's going to be less personal sharing of information. Maybe they won't go certain places. Maybe they won't put themselves in situations where they can be tempted or triggered. And those lifestyle changes are a direct result of their healing. In other words, they never want to get close to that line again. And so they're going to structure their life. They're going to structure it, by the way, not somebody else structuring it. And they're going to make sure that they're really honest about what they can handle. They're not going to keep testing and pushing limits and trying to see how far they can go. But instead, they're going to be honest about, now I can't go there. I can't do that. Nope, I'm not interested in that. Um, again, a, a, one guy that I worked with, whenever he would travel, he would only use his laptop down in the hotel lobby in, in, in public view with other people walking around. He would never use it privately in his room after that because for him personally, he knew that he couldn't handle that and he wasn't going to lie to himself and make himself believe that, well, I'm this far into my recovery. I've been sober for this long and I can, I can handle this. I mean, anybody can handle looking at their laptop in their bedroom. Well, he knew that he couldn't handle it and he wasn't fooling himself anymore. And so these lifestyle changes don't just revolve around addictive behaviors. It can be other things like uh, dietary changes or sleep schedules or exercise or the way that they spend time with their family members or devices or other kinds of things like that. There's just changes and boundaries and limits, and they, they recognize that they have to be vigilant in lots of different areas that really matter to their healing. They also can ask for what they want and what they need. A lot of people who struggle with addictions sort of act wantless and needless, believe it or not, and they, they live a life really without boundaries. And so a lot of the times there's chaos and there's a lot of emotional dishonesty and there's a lot of games and guessing and wondering what's really going on and a lot of doublespeak. 
But when there's really healthy living and healing and true recovery, they can be totally upfront and be straight shooters and ask for what they need and what they want. There's a lot of honesty. And those are all good boundaries and limits, being able to say, yes, I'll do this, or no, I don't have the time for that. So I hope you found these six areas helpful and enlightening for trying to understand what healing looks like. Of course, these principles apply to a lot of different kinds of addictions, but the addictions that I'm specialized in working with surround infidelity, affairs, pornography, and sexual addiction. I hope that these six principles have been helpful to you in trying to understand better what healing looks like for somebody who is going through a recovery process. Again, you may find that some of these fit with the person that you love and you feel like, wow, they're really in a good healing place. You may be hearing this list and going, wow, this person's not doing any of these things at all. Well, there's some red flags there and you should really look at that and have some pretty honest conversations about what really healing looks like then. And you may have somebody who's doing all of these things and maybe even more and is creating a tremendous amount of safety and healing in your relationship. Whatever that may be, I just hope that this can give you somewhat of a framework or some guidance to understand what I've seen over the last 20 years from people that are truly healing from these addictions. 